G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is entitled Escape from the Ordinary, the Burning Bush, and it focuses on Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 to 15 as part of our Exodus, the Gospel before the Gospel series. We hope you enjoy the sermon. This reading is from Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 to 15, found on page 66 of the Pew Bible. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, and the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land the land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jabulites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing me. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God asked Moses, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Hear the word of the Lord. 
Well, today we are continuing the story of Exodus, the gospel before the gospel. Last week, we left Moses in the arms of Pharaoh's daughter after a miraculous set of God incidences, not coincidences, but God incidences, saved his life at the beginning of chapter 2. Today, we're going to see how God called Moses to be a leader. But you'd never guess this from reading the back half of Exodus 2. Moses grows up in the king's palace, but as he gets older, he realizes he is different. He's not Egyptian by birth. He's a Hebrew, the slave class. One day, he wanders out of the palace and sees a Hebrew slave being beaten mercilessly by an Egyptian slave driver. Now, Moses has been given this deep sense of justice. So he looks around, and seeing no witnesses, he takes justice into his own hands, killing the Egyptian slave driver. The next day, Moses goes out again, and he sees two Hebrews fighting. When he tries to break them up, one of the slaves says, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Moses realizes his cover is blown, so he runs away. If you're looking at these beautiful images, um, they are um, computer-generated, AI-generated images uh, by an artist called Dana Green. Um, and, and she's just imagining the story of Exodus through selfies. Like, you imagine that people were taking selfies today. So there's, there's Moses, and um, beside him is one of the Hebrew slaves saying, Who do you think you are? So Moses realizes his cover is blown, and he runs away. He runs away from Egypt, from the king of Egypt, who finds out that his daughter's adopted son murdered one of his controllers. Moses bolts east, out of Egypt, to the back blocks of the land of Midian, a desert land in the Sinai Peninsula. Still today, it is very underpopulated. It is very dry. It is very barren. And there, Moses happens across the daughters of the Midianite priest. They're being bullied by some shepherds, and Moses stands up for them, and his is then adopted by Jethro, the priest, who gives Moses one of his daughters in marriage. It looks like Moses is going to set up in the Sinai Peninsula and spend the rest of his life herding sheep. He's got this deep sense of injustice, but it's frustrated. He doesn't know how to use it. While his people suffer in Egypt, he lives in hiding, guiding sheep rather than guiding people. It seems like he's wasting his potential. But God, who has seemed quite distant so far, is about to meet Moses through a burning bush in the back blocks. Now verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side and came to the Mount Horeb the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a burning bush. 
Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now, as a shepherd, Moses would have seen plenty of burning bushes, but never one that wasn't destroyed by the fire. He goes to check it out, and suddenly a voice speaks. Now, Moses would have come across gods in Egypt. The king of Egypt worshipped a god, was worshipped like a god. He himself was a god. And there were a whole swag of gods in the Egyptian religion. There's Horus, the eagle god of hunting. Bath, the cat god of warfare. Anaket, who was the personification of the Nile River. She was the goddess of the Nile River. And there was even Thoth, who's probably my favorite one. He was an ibis. He was the god of science, magic, and writing. So next time you see the humble bin chicken, uh, remember that he was once worshipped as a god in Egypt. (laughs) Anyway, Moses would have been comfortable with speaking burning bushes. His father-in-law was a priest. He understood that gods and goddesses were around the traps. He had left the Egyptian gods behind, but now all of a sudden there's a burning bush god. And he draws close to it. But Exodus 3, 6 says, when the Lord's, oh, there's the Egyptian pantheon. There's some, there's some of our Egyptian gods, goddesses. Exodus 3, 6 says, uh, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. At first, Moses is comfortable. He's ready. Uh, he doesn't mind that there's a talking bush, um, which, well, it's, it, it's not really burning. Um, we call it a burning bush, but it's not being consumed. And when God tells him to remove his shoes, he recognizes that this is a holy space. Moses is a spiritual guy, but suddenly things get taken up a notch. Verse 6 again. Then he said, I am the father, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Suddenly, things get serious. Moses encounters the holiness of God, and he is rightly afraid. This God isn't bound to the Nile like the Egyptian gods. This God can find you when you're running away from everything. This God is a personal God who knows Moses by name. The God of Moses' ancestors, the people Moses knows of, but has never met. Many see this encounter as a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. At first, Moses meets an angel, but through the bush, he also meets with God. It is the voice of God. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And he tells Moses that he has come down. Why? Because he's seen the suffering of his people. Friends, here we need to be awed by the holiness of God. He isn't bound by space and time. Like so many things that we worship today. He's also personal and knows us. Deeply. The gods of Egypt could be controlled and run away from. But when Moses realizes that this is the God of his ancestors, 
he immediately realizes the power of the one he's come before. In the presence of God's goodness, he realizes how sinful he is. He hides his face. And people do this when they meet with Jesus for the first time. In the presence of God's power, he feels weak. But like the burning bush, he experiences the holiness of God. The flame and the fire and the power. But like the bush, he isn't burned up. Friends, so many of us are like Moses in the wilderness. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. We know where we want to be, but we don't know how to get there. We know who we want to be, but we know we're not that person. We're tired, we're lonely, we're bored. We desperately want an escape from ordinary. Well, here, friends, we see that Jesus is above the ordinary. He's holy. He's so much better than the vain things the world around us is chasing. He has a better mission for us, a better plan than we could ever create for ourselves. Jesus knows how to satisfy our souls, and we need to make sure we have time and space built into our lives, our timetables, our rhythms, our schedules. Time to draw aside and meet with God. When we encounter him, it's a terrifying space. But it's a holy place all the same. And as Moses cowers in fear, verse 7 reveals his heart. God reveals his heart. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. The God who has seemed so far away from his people in Exodus is now saying, I have heard your sufferings, and I have heard your cries. Friends, this is an encouragement for us to pray. If you've been praying for something for years and you haven't seen any shift, this is a reminder that God hears your prayers and sometimes prayer takes time. If you've been praying for someone to be healed and they're still sick, keep praying. If you've been praying for a house, a job, or for God to take away that temptation that you're fighting, keep fighting, keep praying. If you've been praying that a loved one or a neighbor might come to faith and meet Jesus, keep praying. Moses spent 40 years in Midian, wandering the desert. He was 80 at this point in his life. Keep praying, friend, because God hears your cries. God shares his concerns with Moses, and then he tells him that he's about to do something about it. He's going to keep his promise to Moses and to his ancestor Abraham to give his people a land of their own. Where the people are confined in Egypt, they will be taken into a spacious land. Where the Hebrews are hungry and exhausted in Egypt, this will be a land flowing with milk and honey, fat for sustenance and sugar for energy. 
here we see that God always has something better for us than we could ever imagine for ourselves. In the Janis Joplin song, it goes, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all got Porsches, I must make amends. It's ironic, because so often we're so desperately trying to keep up with the Joneses, to have a Mercedes Benz to meet with the Porsche, that we miss out on what Christ wants for us. All Moses wanted was for his people to be free and to get on. Here God shows us his vision is so much grander. And this is perhaps why Moses catastrophizes and makes excuses. I don't know if you've ever done that before, God, before. In verse 11, he says, Who am I that I should go out to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? To this excuse, God simply says, I will be with you. Who am I? I will be with you. It's... It's, it's, an answer. it's not an answer, but, but it is an answer. Friends, here we need to see that when we ground who we are in God, we can finally live lives without fear. Moses says, who am I? And God simply says, I am with you. God makes up for our foibles for our insecurities and our shortcomings. This is why in 1 John 4, 4 it says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. When we ground who we are in God, our souls have the only anchor they'll ever need. In verse 13, Moses makes another excuse and says, Well, I don't know your name. What if the Israelites ask for your name? And God replies in verse 14, I am who I am. This is what you were to say of the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Again, it's a mind-blowing answer. And pretty much every scholar I've looked at has a different opinion on what exactly this means. People have spent thousands of years unpacking the wonder of what God is saying here. One scholar translates it as, I is who I is, which is something you'd expect someone in the back box to say. I is who I is, Moses. At the very least, it means three things. It means that God is consistent. He was good to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he will be good to us. He is consistent with his track record. Number two, God is self-defining. He's not shaped by created things. Remember, all the Egyptian gods were like something. They were like a cat, or they were like a crocodile, or they were like an ibis. Here, God can't be constrained by time or space like us. God is not created. He is creator. Being in its very essence. Thirdly, 
God will be. There's a future element to this. He will be who he will be. God holds the future in his hands. And what truly matters in the end is found in God. Here for the first time in history, God is asked, what is your name? This God is so holy. He creates everyone and everything. And yet this God is so personal that he comes down and meets meets with us. He meets with us in our struggles. He calls us by name. And he has the humility to introduce himself to. How good is God? How good is God? Here again we see parallels between this event and the life of Jesus in the Gospels. In John's Gospel, Jesus gives us seven I am statements. He claims the holy name seven times. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he finally says, I am the vine. In John 8, Jesus makes probably one of the biggest statements about who he is and what he's come to do. He says, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. He just simply says, I am. At this, Jesus' enemies pick up stones to kill him because he's claiming to be God, pure and simple. They think this is blasphemy. How dare you identify yourself with the voice of the burning bush? How dare you say that you are the I am, Jesus? Jesus speaks to Moses from the bush and calls him to redemptive work. Jesus becomes not only the God who introduces himself to us, but the God who sacrifices himself for us. At the burning bush, the bush isn't consumed. But at the cross, Jesus dies for us. Gives everything for us. Jesus is sent into the world to accomplish a mission. And now he brings us into that holy go that Moses has given. In verse 10, we read, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's a massive ask. For Moses, a man who has spent most of his life outside of the Hebrew community, to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful bloke on earth, to bring millions of his best workers out of Egypt was impossible. And yet, this is the extraordinary mission Moses is called to. And that we as the church continue. Jesus is calling us out of slavery and into his service. Jesus is still raising up unlikely leaders from unlikely places. And Jesus is still making mission impossible possible. This is the gospel before the gospel. Moses cannot possibly accomplish this mission on his own. So God promises, I will be with you and you will have my name on your heart. For us in the church today, 
Jesus' mission is just as challenging. So we need to remember that we cannot do anything without him. In the coming chapters, we'll see how God puts people in Moses' life, like Miriam and Aaron. He arms him. He gives him experiences. And he gives him a spirit to guide him. Jesus, likewise, didn't go it alone. He gathered disciples and then sent them out. As Moses is given God's holy name, revealing himself to Moses, so we get to share Jesus, the fullest and truest revelation of God we could ever know. That's why Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Friends, if we're to accomplish anything of eternal value with our lives, we need to go with God and reveal him to the world. We all want freedom, fullness of life and love. The good news in Exodus 3 is that all we could ever want is found in God. The challenge is that God is calling us to share what he has shown us in the world. Let's have boldness. Let's ask him to help us do that now. Loving Lord God, we thank and praise you for your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us and that you call us to mission. But we can't do it without you. So we pray, Lord, that you would be within us, you would be before us, you would be behind us. Help us to go in your name.